when you think about post-purchase, that is when a consumer, right after they place the purchase, probably have a little bit of regret of like, oh, should I have spent this kind of money on a soda or should I have spent this kind of money on a bag? And that's a moment of regret. And I think that most brands in the zero to 30 days after purchase focus on like, how can I upsell, cross-sell, resell, and every other selling mechanism in the books. Less focus on how do I make you feel a good kind of way about the purchase you made, whether it's sharing brand stories, sharing the story of the founders, sharing what success using this product looks like. And then I think the second purchase and the third purchase comes naturally when you have those expectations met. Instead of focusing on like, how do I squeeze more money out of the customer, which is a lot of what growth marketing has been transitioned to. that Eli Weiss has taken an untraditional path to where he is today would be an understatement. Currently, Eli is the Director of Customer Experience at Olipop, but his roots are in a traditional Orthodox Jewish household. His education does not include a college degree, and his first job in the industry came as a result of him doing a PowerPoint presentation to the folks at an emerging luggage brand about why they were failing. Yeah, not exactly what you'd expect. But Eli's whole career is about going above and beyond expectations, especially consumer expectations. From that luggage brand to Nug's vegan chicken nuggets, and now with Olipop, Eli has become a master of building out the ultimate customer experience. And he took us behind the scenes on this episode of Up Next in Commerce. Plus, he told us about the job board he set up to help more people like him get jobs. People with a lot of skills, but untraditional backgrounds. This has allowed even more awesome folks to come work in the CPG space. This is seriously one of my favorite interviews, so I hope you enjoy the conversation with Eli Weiss. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Hello and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Eli Weiss, who's a Director of Customer Experience at Alipop. Eli, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. So excited. I'm a big Olipop fan. I'm a big fan of you. So I feel like this is gonna be a really fun interview and I can't wait to dive into it. So I want to get into your background of like how you even got into the world of D2C. I mean, obviously working at Olipop now, you've worked at Nugs. So I want to hear a bit about your background of like how you got involved in this world. How did you get pulled in? I got into startups in 2016. Um, I was traveling for a little while and 
was in Israel at the time and found this luggage company that was selling on Kickstarter. And when I joined 2016, they were actually two full years late on the product. And when I joined, they were hiring a native English speaker as like the sole external relations person. So the, the role was starting in customer service, but eventually, you know, everything from marketing to investor relations to trade shows, um, strategy, et cetera, et cetera. And when I started, my hypothesis was that the reason why people were super frustrated had nothing to do with the fact that they didn't get the product. Rather, it was that they had this idea of backing a company so they can feel involved and they, they weren't getting any information as to like feel part of it. So essentially the hypothesis then was we didn't have much to lose. Let's just go full on transparency mode. And we got the CEO to hop on a Facebook live and share like, Hey, I've been dishonest. Here's what really has happened. We've raised a lot of money. We've spent it all on R and D and production. We just need some time to get this product to you. And we essentially turned the business around fast forward a couple of, couple of months later, we shipped the product. And then a year and a half or two years later, we ended up launching a V2 based on feedback from V1 and that all these customers come in and come right back. So that was my first stab at, at startups and, and customer experience and was there for a couple of years. Um, started again in 2016. By the time 2020 came around, I pretty much have, have done every role at that company other than like design and finance. And then COVID hit. The one thing I swore to myself was I'd never touch food and beverage just because my family has been in food and beverage for, I think, almost 50 years now. Um, but I was in New York and came across Nugs, which was a super cool vegan chicken nugget alternative and kind of hopped in there and then hopped into Olipop. And, and what I've seen is just people getting super excited about customer experience. Um, and that's been amazing. Cool. Okay. I mean, I find it very interesting that you dove into a company that was like backordered like that. It's very brave. And also hearing about like your family being in CPG for 50 years. Tell me a bit about, you know, your childhood. I know we were talking about those, you know, a bit non-traditional growing up and schooling. So I want to kind of dive into that to get to know you a bit more. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a fun one and, and one that I don't share very often, but um, I grew up in a ultra-Orthodox Jewish world. Number two of 10 children, um, very non-traditional childhood, kind of in a box, didn't have a traditional high school experience. I was always a great kid, but at the age of 14, 15, I just, I wasn't a super happy child, I'd say. And, and my my entrance to the outside world was actually reddit.com, which is the best and the worst place to learn about the world as a 14 year old yeah. boy um, and kind of hopped in there. And what I, what I learned back then was people were traveling and people were traveling for free. And I got super excited about seeing the world and seeing other places. When I was 15, I went with my older brother. We did a road trip in the summer. We drove from New Jersey to LA and I never had left New Jersey prior to that. So, um, wow. so yeah, super excited to be able to kind of see the country and it was obsessed with people. I'm an introvert, but was for some reason was enthralled by people watching and seeing how humans are the same in different places. Um, essentially moved to New York at the age of 18 and had seen that people were consistently flying with points and miles. And I walked into a Chase Bank in Washington Heights and I spoke to the manager and said, can you teach me everything you know about credit? And he was like, well, this is pretty weird, but sure. Um, and fast forward a year and a half later, I had 1.2 uh, million airline miles, which is a story in and of itself, but told my parents I was going to Israel to study, which as Orthodox Jewish parents, they were super proud of. Um, <laughs> went there and started traveling. So I had a couple hundred dollars in my bank account, but a bunch of miles and saw 34 countries in the next year and a half without spending any dollars. So while most people my age were in college, I was traveling, kind of finished this whole travel extravaganza and was like, do I hop into college and start a couple of years late and spend a lot of money on it? Or do I kind of figure out a way in the same way I figured out with travel and, and a bunch of other things growing up and startups? Like that's the only place where you can get in based on what you 
tell them you can do. And if you prove it, you, you have some leeway. So that's pretty much been my, my entrance into, into CPG was just like, give me a chance. Um, yeah. and obviously as somebody begging for a chance, you don't, you don't get, you don't get to pick. So you, you take what you're offered and, and customer service was the first thing. And I was like, as a customer, I, I love a great experience, mm-hmm. but there's something about it. How, you know, the bar is so low. It's like Zappos and Chewy are famous for deeply, deeply caring, but everyone else is just like, this is a cost center. Let's push it out. So that's kind of my, my entry into CPG. That's amazing. Okay. So when you were trying to, you know, get your foot in the door, choosing startups, I mean, what was it like trying to actually get in? Like what struggles did you encounter? Like at that point, did you, you didn't have a college degree. Did you have a high school degree? Like what kind of things were being asked of you where you were like, you'd be like, okay, I don't, I don't have that. So I, th- I think it's, it's, it's been interesting now thinking back over the last couple of years of, of how far I've come. When I started, I finished my high school GED diploma equivalent a couple of months before. So no formal education was super passionate about customer service and thought that most brands don't do it well. I'm the guy that hops on a call with somebody and they tell me, well, here's the problem. And I was like, well, here's what I want you to tell me. This is how you can do this. And, and this might be helpful for other people. And it was so, so weird, but there was something about great experiences that just got me so excited. And I ended up loving the brand so much more. So when I came to pitch this, and this is another story I've never shared is I had heard about this company. I got intro from a friend. I hopped on LinkedIn and saw all the people that worked there had master's degrees and 10 years of experience. And I was like, I need to figure something out because just going in with my, with my resume won't get me very far. And I've actually, I spent about seven or eight hours researching everything about the company, went through all the comments on Kickstarter, all the comments on their Facebook ads and learned everything about what was going wrong and actually came with a two slide PowerPoint presentation in, in the Middle East and Israel in general. They really, they really enjoy like chutzpah, like somebody uh-huh. with yeah. that has that audacity. And yeah. the guy was looking at me like, Oh my God. And then he was like, okay, you're in start tomorrow. So wow. I, I, took a, I took a very risky approach, but back then it was like, I, I just had to try something different, new and novel to get a job. But I think what I've seen over the course of that time, I spent four years there, came to the US and then was looking for a job. I actually applied to 85 different jobs at some of these like deep DTC, CPG darling brands in 2020 and heard back from about four of them. And most of them didn't even give me the time of day to, to chat with them because I didn't have the super cool Airbnb or Uber or whatever else yep. experience. And, and what was frustrating to me is like the skill set I had was super valuable at certain companies, but I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite bridge the gap. And that's what I've started a couple of weeks ago is a CPG job board for that exact reason. It's like people have very specific wants and needs for their next role, but they, they don't have the ability to specifically search for those wants and needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been something I'm extremely passionate about is, is matching great companies that deeply care about their employees to great employees that deeply care about customers. Wow. Okay. That's, that's amazing. You basically, you started your own job board to solve a problem that you had and that the industry has, is having right now in general, what kind of results are you seeing from like feedback from the candidates and like, what are the companies saying who are kind of using this? Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing to get in front of companies that I've known and loved and had an eye on. Um, and so many brands that I was like, if I needed a job, these are the companies that apply to. And I think what we've mm-hmm. seen is there are a lot of companies that have grown very fast, but don't necessarily have great employee culture. And what we've seen is, is Glassdoor is generally like a more like, you know, the, the angry people are the super happy people. Yeah. There's, there's no real, like, there's no real normalcy in, in the reviews there. Yeah. So I think it's like knowing that somebody that deeply cares is vetting those roles and then putting them up on a board and getting people that are already into it. So people that follow me on Twitter and are, are really love growth, retention, customer experience, and getting qualified people to talk to one another. I mean, 
the first couple of weeks have, have just been amazing hearing from people that are looking for roles that like, oh, wow, these are the exact roles I'd look for, would never be able to find it. Hearing from brands, it's like, we're actually getting really, really great candidates into the pipeline because of this is, again, this is like, like you said, I started this because of the need that I had. And it's, it's some of the most meaningful work I'm doing right now. Wow. That's cool. Okay. So for anyone who's looking for a job, go to Eli's job board. Okay. So I want to fast forward. Actually, no, we're rewinding back to the world of, you know, Nugs, because I want to kind of get into the customer experience aspect of this. Like when you were at Nugs, you were known for raising the CES score from like 73 to 97 within like the first 10 days of employment. And I think you raised LTV by more than like 30% and a bunch of other stats to show you're amazing. So I want to kind of dive into like, if you're approaching a new company, like maybe when you came to Olipop or if you were to go to a new company today, how do you view day one of kind of like looking at the customer journey and experience and unpacking that to figure out how to improve it? Yeah, I think that's an awesome question. Giving a full understanding of what customer experience when done well really is, is probably important. I think the, the important thing about customer service or customer experience or whatever you want to call it in the past has been like, you know, when there's a fire, here's how you put it out. And I think that's been very, very effective for kind of 1.0 of like, here's how you make sure customers aren't unhappy. But what we've seen in the past is like, as acquisition costs go up, we're kind of more focused on like, how do we build brand promoters? Not in the way of like, we wait until people are excited and then say, here, can you promote us? But rather proactively look across the entire customer journey and make sure people are having their expectations met. I think on day one, you know, let's, let's look at expectations across the entire customer journey and see are we delivering on what we're promising? So what that looks like on a very practical and tactical level is looking at ad copy. Is the ad copy you're pitching, is that, is that actually what you're delivering when customers click place order? And then thinking through what's the next stage when they, when they click on that ad copy, get onto your site, is your website experience seamless and easy? Are people getting the information they need or do they have to reach out and ask questions via email? And then the next thing is shipping and delivery. What we've seen is brands like will charge $150 for a t-shirt and then ship it with USPS and it can take three weeks. Mm -hmm. If this is a luxury product, you should get luxury treatment on shipping and delivery. And then obviously product, like there's just a lot of trauma around people ordering something that gets drop shipped from across the world. So making sure that they get what they expected it to look like. And then obviously customer service and return. So making sure that whatever we, if we promise that we have great 24 hour response time and it takes three days to respond, we're ready kind of missing it. So I think day one, and it's what I've, it's what I've done at Nugs and it's what I've done at Olipop is like, Day one is looking across the customer journey and seeing what are we promising and are we delivering and kind of resetting expectations where we have to or making sure we can beat them when possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. When thinking about like core elements though, that you're really like, I come in, when I came into Olipop, like the data that I looked at was this to make sure, you know, I was ensuring it kind of worked the way it did at Nugs or the way that you set it up. Like what kind of data do you come in and like dissect first? I mean, are you really going through all the customer feedback and kind of looking at the website and seeing, you know, interactions? Like, like what are just the first couple that you would look at? Because that felt like a lot where I'm like, as a brand, well, how do I do all that in my first week or month or whatever? Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair point. So there's the, there's the, the macro and the micro. I think on a, on a macro level over a certain period of time, you want to kind of see everything. On a micro level, I think the, some of the most important things is just looking at feedback from customers, whether you're running a, CES score or NPS score, any kind of scoring that you're running from customers, you generally get a pretty good gist of, of how customers are feeling. So CES is, is essentially customer effort score, which is like how easy and seamless was it for you to get resolved, for, to get your issue resolved. And that's, that's generally the biggest indicator of like, are customers getting the resolution of the question they asked without jumping through many hoops? I think that's probably the most important thing I'd be looking for is like, let's look through the feedback and seeing 
you know, it's inevitable. There are going to be issues. I can't solve that on day one, but I can deeply understand what derails uh, a customer experience and, and what are kind of the big, big wins or, or low hanging fruit kind of jump in and, and hit right off the bat. Anything when you're watching brands today, because there's so many DTC brands popping up and I feel like many of them are kind of like looking at other playbooks and, you know, kind of mimicking that. Are there any things that you consistently see brands doing right now where you're like, oh, you guys keep doing this and it's, you know, completely wrong? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there, there are quite a few and I don't want to drag any brands, but I, I think the, the two things that I think about consistently are over-promising on shipping. Like we've seen mm-hmm. brands say like, hey, we offer two-day shipping and then you're, you order it and you're like, is it? Because it's been two days, it doesn't come and you reach out and they're yep. like, well, it's, it's two-day shipping, but then we have processing time and due to COVID, you're like, I hear all of that, but why did you promise that? You promised that to get me across the finish line and now I'll never come back again. The, the second yep. thing I've seen is, you know, most brands, they start off and they're like, well, let's invest and hire a bunch of marketing people and get a bunch of agencies kind of all figured out. Let's outsource customer experience. And you're like, it kind of grinds my gears because the first six months of any product launch is like the most important time to keep that feedback coming into your email. And it's Mm -hmm. like, if you're outsourcing your customer voice in the first six months of the business, how will you ever know what to fix? So I think those are the two big things that come up for me that I'm like, can you not outsource your customer experience on day one, please? Okay. Yeah, that's great. And where do you put, you know, leading the CX team? Like, where do you guys fit within the org? Like, where is it best positioned to have that team? Us as a team, we're part of the marketing team, um, Mm -hmm. which is what I've been begging for, um, for the last five years is like, just put them, they are marketing. Like if done right, you're building brand promoters. The other part of the business that I think is, is a great place to, to put customer services under ops. Like if customer service slash experience can be directly reporting any sort of issues directly within ops, I think that's also a great place. Like I, I find that the focus for, for me is less on like where they're reporting to or what they're part of. I think the bigger thing for me is like, are you actually listening? Because I think the biggest hurdle for customer experience is that for the last 50 years, it's just been the bottom of the barrel. These people get paid the least, get listened to the least, put out everybody's fires, have no control. And I think it's going to take a lot more than just myself and a few others to change that. But seeing that customer experience has been glorified over the last two years and listened to is a fantastic step in the right direction. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of powerful moments that exist. And even the most unhappy customers are the ones that are maybe unsubscribing from their subscription programs or, you know, writing negative feedback. Like sometimes those are the customers who actually can be the most engaged long-term and like turn into the, you know, highest LTV compared to anyone else. Because if you just take the time to like spend with them and listen to them, I mean, not many companies I can think of right now, do you actually go to and feel like, oh, I actually feel heard now. And they, you know, know my exact problem and they fix it. And now I want to come back. Feels like that's kind of the bar that still needs to be met by like a not a lot of new companies popping up right now. It's funny because when you think about the fact that there, there are a couple of easy wins that I think is is important to share. Like what I've seen is ninety percent of brands you reach out saying you have an issue, the first thing they do is deflect. It's like yeah. we are so sorry for well COVID and UPS and USPS and FedEx, and it's like from a customer's perspective, if I spend my hard earned money on your brand, you can take it on a on a carrier pigeon or in a helicopter, like. It's your job to get it from your warehouse to me, regardless of whatever else is going on. And if there is a lot going on, I have empathy when you share what's going on proactively and not wait for me to reach out. So I think that's mm-hmm. been like the most annoying part of this is like, A, the bar is so low because like, if you, if you look at the space, like some of the big ones are famous for quite literally having a customer service line that they pick up the phone and is not outsourced, yeah. right? Like the, How there's sad that, is that? People are like, right? yay, I get a person on this call. And that, like, that's crazy. But then the flip side is to your point is like, when you have an issue and you reach out to 
Zappos or Chewy or Wayfair or like anyone that invests in this, you are 10 times more loyal once they resolve the issue, which is what you just brought up. And, and that's like the future of, of CPG is like building brand promoters, not through doing cool activations on Instagram, but through deeply, deeply caring about how consumers are, are treated with the purchase experience um, with your brand. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. I also think that there, you know, is so many moments in the purchasing journey that are kind of missed that you could capitalize on. And I know that you've mentioned this before that there's, you know, some underutilized moments that you should definitely be connecting with your customer that most brands don't even think about, you know, maybe connecting and communicating with during that time point, time frame. So I want you to kind of touch on that a bit of like, what is the most underutilized moment if you still think it's the same one that maybe uh, you had back in May when you're discussing this? Yeah, I mean, I think the most underutilized time is is shockingly overutilized on the sales side, right? It's like when you think about post-purchase, like that mm-hmm. is when a consumer right after they place the purchase probably have a little bit of regret of like, oh, should I have spent this kind of money on a, on a soda or should I have spent this kind of money on a bag or whatever it is? And that's a moment of regret. And I think that most, most brands in, in the zero to 30 days after purchase focus on like, how can I upsell, cross-sell, resell, and every other selling mechanism in the books, less focus on like, how do I cement the, make you feel a good kind of way about the purchase you made. So whether it's like sharing brand stories, sharing the story of the founders, sharing what success using this product looks like. And then I think, you know, kind of the second purchase and the third purchase comes naturally when you have those expectations met. But instead of focusing on like, how do I squeeze more money out of the customer, which is a lot of what growth marketing has, has been transitioned to is like, we spend so much money on acquisition. How can I squeeze and squeeze and squeeze? Instead, focus on how can I make this person feel better about their purchase and feel kind of more integrated with the brand. And, and that will turn into money without you having to beg that person to purchase again. Yep. That's, I mean, that's great. I think of so many subscription programs, even around like Hulu and Netflix and, you know, how many people are like, I'm just going to get that HBO or Hulu subscription 14 days later, I'm going to cancel. And like the moments in between, like so much the companies could be doing to convince that person to stay around of like, hey, look at all the cool stuff on this platform. You have, we have more stuff here than you can even watch in 14 days. Like, I sure hope you stay around to day 15. Like there's so much that can be done there. That seems like a huge missed opportunity, which I love that you like touched on that point. I mean, I think what's interesting about that is that the the previous subscriptions were like, the second you sign on, they never spoke to you again and hope that you forgot, right? And it's like, now we're seeing technology shift towards like, there are a million and a half tools that can actually tell you like, hey, you have a subscription. Do you want to cancel it? And they'll automatically yep. cancel it for you. And brands are like, this whole set and forget it thing of like bringing people into the funnel and then just making believe they don't exist anymore is actually is not helpful at all. And, mm-hmm. and to your point, it's like, if, if you got a message within like seven days, like, hey, you're seven days through your subscription, you only watch one out of the 875 shows that we have on here. Like, what's next? Um, like that, that's genius. And I think it's like most brands are thinking like, how can we just get people in this funnel and then kind of just hope they stick around. And I think subscription broadly has been like, you know, we've seen D to C brands, you hop on the website and it defaults to subscription. So instead of a one-time order, you're automatically auto-selected subscription. You're like, 
Amazon is a zillion dollar business. They're not doing that. Do you think they never mm-hmm. thought of that? It's like yeah. when a customer decides that this is a good product and they love it, or they decide like, hey, the discount is super important to me. They know where to find your subscription, right? So yeah. it's like, I think it's a reset on subscriptions in general, which I think is, is super overdue. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I want to hear more about some of the cool things that Alipop is doing to create some special moments, whether it's after purchase or, you know, even like longer term, like weeks or months or years after, like, how are you guys thinking about that? Because I, you know, saw that you guys were sending live plants to people, which to me, I'm like, I would be a forever fan if I got a live plant because I love plants, even if I can't keep them alive, I still love them. (laughs) So like, you know, I want to hear more about those moments and like, what did that, what kind of uplift did that bring after, you know, doing those kind of campaigns? Yeah, I, th- I think what's been super exciting for us is, is the ability to be human again in commerce. A couple of different things that I think it's worth touching on is when we think about creating expectations, I think that's the most important thing. So when anyone signs up for a subscription, they get a plain text email from me explaining like, this is, this is what you'll be getting out of this subscription. This is what you can come to expect to so kind of set the scene very early on. I was like, this is what an Olipop subscription looks like. Here's where you can reach out if you have any problems um, and get expedited support here's the perks and benefits of signing up for a subscription just so we don't have any disappointment. That's number one. Number two, I think what most brands have yet to do and something that we're working on at the moment is like thinking, what is three months on Olipop look like? What is six months on Olipop look like? So we're, we're a healthier alternative to soda that's actually been clinically studied by Baylor and Purdue University. And we're like, the body actually is affected when you add a bunch of fiber to your daily diet. So your microbiome is better. So what does your microbiome on Olipop look like after three months, six months, nine months, and kind of just setting the framework of getting those messages over a longer period of time instead of the standard, like you signed up, you're listening, let's send you five messages in five days. So that's been an interesting, an interesting switch on that. To hop onto your second question around like the the gifting and, and creating these moments. What, what we've learned is like the second anything becomes super scalable, it just feels blah. It's like customers know when you did something special for them or when you did it for 700 other people and nobody for a second thinks that you, they ordered two cases of soda and they're getting a plant that costs more than the soda does. Right. So it's like creating these moments of showing customers that we deeply, deeply care. What we've transitioned to in, in the last couple of months is instead of sending to 50, 60 people, we'd rather find people that are at, a, at an interesting time of their life, whether it's a great time or a not so great time and, and really showing them we care as humans. Um, two stories that come to mind recently is, you know, we had a customer that canceled their subscription and said like, Hey, I'm canceling this because we have massive flooding in the area. And my team just quick thinking, what would a friend do? What would a family member do when we sent them dinner from Olipop and obviously cancel their subscription? We're able to be there at that time. And the other kind of more somber moment is we've had somebody that canceled their subscription. They said the reason why they're doing it is because they were ordering it for their mom who was in hospice care and wasn't able to eat a lot of the, the foods that she was eating. But the root beer, kind of root beer she had every day brought so much joy into her life. And we think about mm-hmm. selling a soda, those aren't the moments that you're prepared for. Um, and, and we got a message that her mom passed away and she wanted to cancel the subscription. And that touched us so deeply, both on like the amount of joy that a product can bring to people, but also like the fact that she reached out with such a meaningful story and shared it. And we sent over a gorgeous bouquet of flowers and we were able to keep stay close to that customer for the for the last couple of months since then. And that's just like doing these non-scalable moments are so special. And I think what most brands are like, oh, how do I do it if I'm getting too big? And I, I think it's it's definitely not the execution or creativity or, or ideation. It's more like the corporate structure and, and all that other stuff that, that actually affects the doing special things. And on my team, it's like, if you have an opportunity to create a moment that costs under two, $300, just do it and ask questions later. Wow, oh, give me goosebumps. I love that story. I mean, so are you going through maybe 
like the customer reviews or like the reasons of why they might be unsubscribing? Is that kind of how you're finding those moments of like happiness or maybe sadness in life and then kind of teaching your team, like, here's the kind of moments that maybe we can, you know, support or like, how do you go about training your team? Especially like you said, if you start scaling and getting so big where you get so many of them, how do you train the team to pick out, you know, the best moments to kind of capitalize on? That's a good question. A couple of things. So on the actual finding these moments, I think we've created an, an, an ecosystem where customers feel more inclined to chat with us than most do. I think we're a brand that when you chat with us, we chat back and we're not automated and we're not just sending you canned responses. So I think plenty of people will cancel our subscription. We won't hear a thing about it. Some of the people that are reaching out are like, hey, they've chatted with us in the past and, and we have a relationship with them. And those are where, the, where those stories come in. As far as training, I think the, the biggest misconception around customer experience is like it's for the people that love talking to people. And ironically, it's not at all that um, because people that are talking to you are generally super angry. And it takes mm-hmm. a lot of empathy, a lot of EQ, a whole bunch of reading between the lines and creative thinking to be able to resolve and tact- like tactfully walk through these issues and, and help customers out. I'm pre-selecting before they even hop in. So the people I hire are, are genuinely excited to do that. I don't have to tell them twice. I'll do it. I'll model, I'll model that behavior. And then they'll be like, well, that seems pretty easy. Um, and then they, they'll already do it on their own. So I'm at a point where my team has far exceeded um, anything that I've done in terms of creating these special moments. And, and it's been, I mean, honestly, some of the most meaningful part of my career is just watching us, us blossom into an organization that, that puts the consumer first every day. Great. The importance of key hires. Always uh, yeah. <laughs> better if you find the right people. Who knew? Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> When thinking about acquiring new customers, I mean, you guys, you know, grew quick, very popular. Like, how do you think about bringing in new customers now? Because when you think about like competitors, some people are comparing you to like Coke and like very unhealthy brands, which to me, I'm like, I don't even get how that's like a comparison, but are you looking at those current customers maybe and like pulling them over to you guys? Or are you going after a whole new audience base um, that would be like interested in just like a healthier alternative? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely going after people that drink legacy soda. I think the, the interesting thing is what we've seen is when we, when we do these like soda style ads with gorgeous pour shots over ice, it's actually a cheap way to acquire customers because it gives you the same cues and nostalgia that you've had watching the other ads. The problem mm-hmm. long-term is that the people that hop in are thinking that this is more expensive. So it's obviously going to be double or triple as good, right? The other thing is like, We've grown, I think, like 600, 600x last year, and we're on track to double that this year, which is bonkers. But I think what's interesting is that with the, with the pace of D2C moving towards a certain direction and, and startups being in a, in a great place, we've actually been able to get Olipop within arm's reach of, of every consumer across the country in three years, <laughs> something that took legacy wow. soda brands years. So I think it's, it's, been, it's been interesting to kind of see that shift towards people really caring about the things they put in their body, people willing to read a label and understand what's in it. So all that's been beneficial. Well, that's so interesting talking about like adding friction to the customer journey. Definitely haven't heard that, which is why now I'm going to focus in on that a bit more. I mean, how long are you kind of running that campaign to figure out the LTV to see like, okay, at this point, we actually need to add a little bit more friction to make sure we're, you know, getting a good customer who's not going to cancel after day one. Like how long are you kind of looking at that data to really figure out, you know, like if a brand should implement a little bit harder of a journey before purchasing? I mean, it's a tricky question because some of the times we're actually looking at this in hindsight where we're saying like, hey, this is an interesting little cohort of customers that are actually, CAC was super low, but then we kind of dive a little deeper and we're like, How, how's the LTV been? And we're seeing that it's, it's pretty, pretty low as well. So I think it's, 
a lot of it is like looking back and kind of consistently learning the other, the other side is like, you know, as we continue to grow, we're, we're just uncovering new data sets. Like we're seeing that people that join a subscription after order number two or three are actually much more, much more likely to stick around for a longer period of time. That's very contrary to D2C ideology of like, let's push as many people into subscription and then make believe that they won't get annoyed when they learn that they're in a subscription. Right. So we've kind of flipped that on its side and been like, if somebody decides that they love the product, we'll create a subscription program. That's a no brainer, right? It's like, it's 15% off on every order. You have the ability to swap, skip, cancel via text. Like we'll remove all the friction and make it a no brainer, but we're not going to push people into it. So I think it's like the constantly, and then obviously we can like take a look at like audiences that hopped into our subscription and market towards them. But I think broadly we've seen that the, the better we set people up from the beginning to understand the depths of, of what our product can do for you, the better chance we have for people to purchase more than once or twice. Hmm, that's great. I mean, you guys are definitely flipping everything on its head of like what a lot of D2C brands are doing right now and kind of choosing the opposite, which I love. The one thing I wanted to touch on too was around retail. So I think, you know, in the earlier days, you guys were heavy in retail, like the majority of your revenue was from there. And then I think it's probably up to maybe like 40, 50%, maybe more is not like D2C revenue now. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm kind of like winging it with the numbers. But like, what does that shift look like as, you know, you kind of went from so heavy retail focus to now so heavy D to C? Yeah. I mean, I think we're about 30 or 35% D to C. So so pretty close to the okay. number you shared. But I, I think the the difficult part is like, and this is like a billion dollar solution that, that's, that's in the waiting, but on a retail shelf, we're just a can. Our can can be prettier, you know, like there, there's a lot, there's a lot that we can play with and we can put nice, you know, shelf wobblers and, and things on the floor and on the side and, and, and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like the power of, of having a D2C brand that can, you can be in control of every single part of the customer journey, aside from all the data you're getting, right? Like you're seeing brands go straight to Amazon and, and lose all their data, but it's easy. But on our end, it's like, aside from all the data you're bringing, you can actually fully control every part of like, we think that this needs optimization and that needs optimization. The interesting part about being on both DTC and retail is that we're also able to see that flywheel. Like people will purchase us on D2C and then leave their subscription. We'll ask them why. And they'll say like, I started buying you at Sprouts or I started buying you at Whole Foods. And we have vice versa. People will purchase online. And when we ask them, how do you hear about us? They said, we bought you in retail. So I think that that's been interesting to kind of dip on both sides and seeing that flywheel has been fascinating. But I think as a, as a brand, I think it's so imperative to have a direct consumer channel to be able to A, gain those insights and B, being able to deeply connect with these customers. Like the amount of buzz we can create on our D2C from great experiences, those people end up telling all their friends. And then when they walk into Whole Foods, they're like, Olipop, that's a brand we heard about. And it's been mm-hmm. phenomenal to be able to kind of watch those, those both sides grow the business. Yeah, it seems so tricky to be in retail with like so many kind of competitors around you. Like, I'm sure packaging is a crucial part to kind of explain to people very quickly of like why you're different than a sparkling water, than, you know, a, another kind of soda brand that's popping up. How are you guys thinking about building packaging that kind of pops if you're in a Sprouts to where someone's like, oh, yeah, I definitely want this one without having to read, you know, into the details and the ingredients to see all the cool things that are in it? I mean, I think we we kind of struck we we struck a chord with our packaging. I think it just fits an aesthetic that was, you know, super in when we started. Yeah. You know, you can you can create this like label that pops out and, and looks like a crazy can. It doesn't mean that somebody's going to purchase it, right? It's like yeah. so, some people are attracted to those wild labels. Other people are looking at the nutritional value. So I think it's like it's tricky to kind of predict, like, oh, this is a can that'll definitely sell. And and the flip side of that is it's also important to realize that selling once is is easy. 
like anyone can get a customer to purchase once it's the repeat that's difficult and that's where the money is. And that's also where like you can create a funnel on D to C, like you can bring a million customers in if they don't repurchase, you're just, you're just barreling towards a super quick exit. And the flip side of that is like that worked five years ago. Now investors and strategic private equity, they're all looking at LTV as well. So I think we're in a tricky situation where all those fake until you make it brands of like, let's just turn up the spend and get a zillion customers in the funnel is actually not working anymore. And it's an interesting time of reckoning for D2C brands of like this whole quick build pump and dump is not, is not as effective as it once was at all. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why when you look at, you know, the world of investing right now, it's like all these new brands are coming out there and they're like, oh, I can't get anyone to invest. And I think it's because initial investors were kind of burned on that model. And now they're like taking a step back and they're like, I don't even know if I want to invest in CPG right now because it's wild out there. I've seen a brand that went public and in reading their S1, I learned that they're paying $130 to acquire a customer. Their AOV on order number one is $37. I mean, that means that you need at least four to five orders to even break even. Wow. Right? So it's like, we're, we're entering crazy town. Um, <laughs> I think investors are like, this whole model worked when acquisition costs were pennies, but now you're seeing Facebook turn the dial. TikTok is next. Snapchat's next. They're all turning the dial. And now businesses in order to sustain, you have to either keep iterating. Mm-hmm. Um, the other option is create a model that gets people coming back. And that's not just products. Like you can have a kick-ass product and still provide a trash experience. And that's why roles like customer experience. When I started in 2016, I was like, he's a customer service agent. And now it's becoming glamorized because people realize it's one of the hardest jobs at a company, mm-hmm. but it can also transition a company from being nothing to being cool. So yeah. I think, I think we're witnessing a shift on, on a bunch of different, different parts. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So what are you most excited right now around Alipop and maybe, you know, the customer experience stuff that you're working on? Like, what are you most bullish on or excited about with the company? I, mean, I think Olipop as a brand has been super authentic, um, which I think has been, it's been exciting to, to work with a team that is not looking for shortcuts to greatness. We're obsessing about every single part of the experience. We're willing to do things differently. We're growing super fast. We often talk about like a three, four, five year vision. I, I don't really have one, but I have a 30 year vision. And my, my long-term vision is like, I, I want to create companies that obsess about consumer, whether it's building or working with, um, and I think it's, you know, seeing that Chewy and Zappos paved the way 10, 15 years ago, but now every brand is looking towards that direction makes me really, really, really excited about the future. And I, I think it's, it's gotten the, the, the bar is so low. So it's super easy to blow expectations out of the water, but seeing people actually stop and listen and think about that on day one has been so exciting for me. Um, and, and now that I shared my story of like me getting into CPG and getting into startups, doing this role, it feels like a full circle. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I'm so excited to see where you and Olipop go and just kind of watch the growth and success and probably leading the way where everyone's going to start following your practices, which will also be fun to watch. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's, it's, it's an exciting time for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have 30 seconds or less to answer. Are you ready, Eli? Yes. Okay, first up. What's a brand that you watch as kind of like inspiration for CX and why? That's an easy one. Chewy. I think any, any brand that hires hundreds of people to write handwritten cards is, I'm, I'm bullish about that. Yep. Okay. Love that. What books or, you know, reading materials are you diving into right now to kind of stay on top of the industry? I think How to Win Friends and Influence People is a, is a classic. I read that at least once a year. 
um, the, the effortless experience is a book I constantly reread about customer experience and then delivering happiness by Tony Shea, another classic. I love that. What is one thing that you are secretly curious about? I've never worked at a super large brand and I'm always curious. You hear so much about corporate structure. I'm curious to see what a meeting with 5,000, with a 5,000 employee brand looks like. Mm, that would be interesting. We can get a recording <laughs> for you. <laughs> yes. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? I mean, I think that something that might sound pretty juvenile, but it's super important is, you know, pretty early on in my career, I, I reached out to some people in the direct consumer and CPG space and having people that were way further ahead of me uh, take time of their, out of their day to talk to me and learn about my aspirations and, and career goals has been so inspiring and something I still try to do as much as I can. But I think way back then I was like, why would this person even want to talk to me? Um, and seeing that so many people are so kind and friendly has been amazing. Mm, that's cool. And now the people on Twitter are going to you for just that. I see your popularity on there. So <laughs> RIP my DMs, right? <laughs> oh no. Good thing we got to slide in there before you did that. Get <laughs> yeah. you on the show. All right. Well, Eli, this has been a really fun interview. I know our audience is going to love it. I love that we got to kind of dive deep into CX. We haven't really done that on many of the other episodes. So thank you for that. And until next time, where can people find out more about you and Olipop? Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. Olipop is drinkolipop.com at drinkolipop on all socials. You can find me on LinkedIn, Eli Weiss, but better if you find me on Twitter, it's at Eli Weiss with an extra S. So it's E-L-I-W-E-I-S-S-S. Thanks, Eli. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.